I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. My name's Jason Fleming. The More Than My Past podcast will see me talking to a wide range of inspiring people. People who have confronted and overcome addiction or imprisonment or both and turn their lives around. I did mad things that was hurting myself and hurting other people. Everybody grows up in a house called normal. Heroin addiction and chaos was my normal. Some people don't understand the word moderation and uh, I was definitely one of those people. The More Than My Past podcast. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. This will certainly have an adult theme and might well contain strong scenes of sex or violence, which could be quite graphic. It may also contain some very explicit language, which will frequently mean sexual swear words. What do you want to listen to? Um... <laughs> Chart music. <laughs> Chart music. you pop crazy youngsters and welcome to the final part of episode 53 of chart music a mammoth troll through may the 12th 1988 i'm your host al needham alongside sarah b and simon price and before we get stuck into the final bit the denouement if you will uh, another public service announcement i don't know if you know this but we always do a video playlist for every episode of Child Music we do. And this one, for this episode, is fucking massive. There's about 154 videos in there, all related to what we see and what we say. So if you want a deeper Child Music experience, get your arse over there. bit.ly dash music vids. All one word. Thank you. Onward. tonight, no question, uh, because they almost couldn't make it because their darts match was going to be held tonight, but it's okay. They are here, star turns on 45, pump up the bidder. This is a journey into space, the names have been changed to protect the committee, so not the wild dude, bring the drums in, let's have a party, pump up the bidder, test it. Mayo, on the balcony, prepares us for the sexiest act on the show tonight, who almost couldn't make it because of a darts match or something. It's Pump Up the Bitter by Star Turn on 45 Pints. Formed in Whitley Bay in 1981, Star Turn comprised of Steve O'Donnell, who produced a couple of records for the female new wave band Girl Squad in the late 70s, 
Colin Horton Jennings, a former member of the prog band The Greatest Show on Earth, which also featured Norman Watt Roy of the Blockheads, and Jay Vincent Edwards, the lead singer of the Newcastle freak beat band The Answers, who became an original member of the West End cast of Here and co-wrote right back where we started from for Maxine Nightingale in 1975. Drawing upon Edwards' experiences in the working men's club scene in the North East, they formed a group based on the concept of the pub singer and their first single are you affiliated achieved moderate local success then as the charts of 1981 were gripped by medley fever they seized their chance and put out star turn on 45 pints which got to number 45 in october of that year after putting out the LP Are You Affiliated in 1984, the project was put on hold. But when the youth of 1988 went dance crazy all over again, they realigned for this single, a pastiche of Mars's pump up the volume, obviously. It entered the charts two weeks ago at number 39, then soared 24 places to number 15 after the video appeared at the end of Top of the Pops two weeks ago, and this week it's jumped three places to number 12. Before we get into this, I forgot to mention when we did Kenny Rogers in the last Christmas episode, there was a pub singer round our way called Fine Time Fontaine. And uh, what he'd do is he'd, he'd do the rounds of every pub in the area that had a turn on, demand to do Lucille by Kenny Rogers, and then piss off to the next pub. So, yeah, big shout to Fine Time Fontaine there. So, yeah, ripping the piss out of the wheel tappers and shunters would have been absolutely fine in 1981 when they did it with the original star turn on 45 pints. But in 1988? Even 81, it was a bit old hat, I would say. I mean... Yeah, but that was the joke. Yeah. I mean, the the concept of the pub singer was a standard comedy trope of the 80s, wasn't it? I mean, Steve Wright used to do it all the time. And then, you know, Vic Reeves did it, didn't they? I was wondering about Vic Reeves, um, about whether this record predates Vic Reeves doing it. It, pre- it predates I him doing think... on telly, but whether Vic Reeves was doing this in his show, his big night out down in New Cross, I don't mm. know. I mean, yeah, obviously it was a standard thing. And yeah, I mean, Vic Reeves yeah. kind of just made it fully fully absurd, like made a sort of balloon animal out of it. Um, mm. But <laughs> like a balloon animal that doesn't quite have the form of an animal. And, you know, as such, it was it was, it was was pretty funny. But this man alive, it's, for a start, it's very generous to call it pastiche. Um, I, I feel mm. like that pastiche requires more thought and, and uh, but I'm not sure they were even, I have to try, okay, I've got, I've got to just like try not to get, too enraged about this because it just made me really angry (laughs) and i resent being uh, having to sit through this fucking bollocks just for you know i really do but um but anyway that person that's that's okay that's all right but it's a low it's a very really low send-up and it has no charm it has no humor really it has nothing to recommend it whatsoever it's I mean, loads of money is worse in terms of how nasty it is but this is pretty nasty and it's got some mm. some moments in in its twenty minute lifespan, which is how long it felt watching it. It's got some like some <laughs> low points and then some even lower points. I mean, it it is a low point. Mm. It's a low point for this episode. It's a low point for this television show. It's a low point for this year for this timeline, including the pandemic. It, it's a low fucking point. <laughs> and and I would I, I'll be intrigued 
to hear any defence of it on any level at all. <laughs> it's like a bad chip shop curry directly to the brain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I'm not sure I would even call it a pastiche so much as a protest record. I think it's a protest record yeah, yeah. Um, made mm. by people who, as I said when we were talking about loads of money, people to whom it was self-evident that dance music and hip-hop was shit. Yeah. Um, you know, right-thinking people. To me, it's 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 the ancestor of 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 that of the mindset of that weird alliance of far-right libertarians and anarcho hippie lefties that got together and and shared their germs in Trafalgar Square recently yeah. with the fucking with with the British Union of Fascists flag hanging down in front of Piers Corbyn and all of that. Um, essentially. Covid idiots and Brexiters. Um, it's mm. that kind of mentality going on here. This kind of stubborn. It's teaching. It's teaching a pug to give a Nazi salute, isn't it? It's that level of of yes. humor. Yeah, it is. It is. And you look at these fuckers. They are dead behind the eyes. They <laughs> yes, are dead. They really they're are. dead eyed. They're dead eyed. They're shark eyed. They're dead eyed. Mm. And in turn, it leaves me stony faced. The, the humour in it, it's so, so weak. Um, the first thing we see, you've got a, another example of deliberately bad scratching, like the loads of money thing. Yes. From mm. a guy who's doing that face where you're pretending you've forgotten your false teeth. That face. Gurning. Yeah. That, gurning, yeah it's like yeah. champion gurning, isn't it? He, isn't he yeah, like, yeah. you know... Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which we'd see a lot of over the next few years. Yeah, a big like... <laughs> well, um, people are performing dance yeah, music. Yeah, yeah. Pioneers, man. But this guy's more harking back to the nationwide thing of having like a, a rubber tie around his neck with yes. British Gurning champion on it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's that yeah, guy. He's on worthington E. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The main guy, J. Vincent Edwards, in his uh, sort of horse racing cap and his tweed jacket. By the way, um, it's very generous of Wikipedia to say that he co-wrote right back where we started oh, really? by Maxine Nightingale. Because that song, oh, no. much as I love it, it's a fantastic fucking Wikipedia's record. Wikipedia's let me down again. No, no, no. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm just disagreeing with it on, on the basis that right back where we started from is a, just a fantastic record. Don't get me wrong. Yes. But it was lifted 80, 85% from a previous record, um, Goodbye, Nothing to Say by Nosmo King and the Javels, which was oh, right. um, a Northern Soul hit a couple of years earlier. Um so, yeah, um, he co-wrote it in that he basically nicked somebody else's entire fucking song and changed the words. Um, <sighs> as, as great as the Maxine Nightingale single is. The, the, the humour in this is based on the assumption that we all share the idea that playing the spoons or the simple words pork scratchings are inherently funny. Mm. It's that bathos of Britishness that um, leaves me cold. I, I, I just don't, don't find... Maybe because I'm not English... You know, I'm from Wales, which is a bit off to the side, and we sort of we we, we sort of watch we watch with a certain bemusement. Um, hey, listen, I'm I'm English, and I'm very very embarrassed. <laughs> All right, well, yeah, I probably can't um, claim that as. Uh, um, so I'm Northern English, really. Which you is are Northern. So it's your fault, Sarah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, no, I'm yeah. born born in London, mate. Yeah. The, the whole Northern thing was just All a right. distraction. Oh, like Stubbs? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> But um, going back to the thing of, of, you know, it's self-evident to these people that hip-hop and dance records like Pump Up the Volume are rubbish. There is that bit where uh, he goes, OK, gang, what do you think? Is this a load of garbage? Because the assumption is 
that the audience going, yeah, it's a load of garbage. This and the, said by Tony Blackburn. Yeah, yeah, yeah on a stick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tony <laughs> Blackburn a, on a stick. A giant Tony Blackburn face on a stick. That sounds like such an insult. Look at him over there. Fuck. Look, look at that Tony Blackburn on a stick. I mean, it's like fucking Boshy in this, isn't it? It's like a Boshian mm. nightmare playing out on the top yeah. of the pop stage <laughs> over several hours. It's just fucking horrible. <laughs> it's such an easy target as well. Like, pump up the volume mm. because I remember that coming out and as a nine-year-old or whatever, just not a ten-year-old not knowing what to make of it. But I enjoyed it and I was mm. like, there is obviously something there. There's something at work there. And again, pl- playfulness mm. without being stupid or, or kind of base or faffing about like a twat. You know, it's it's precise and it's got ideas flying around all over the place and it's like that's that's great Mm. and there's not an acknowledgement in this bullshit that these records have a sense of humor and lightness about themselves to start with you know mark moore Mm. uh, of s express was larking about yes raves were larks like people were were dicking around people laughed these are there's humor in that Mm. it's not jokes but there's no target either. There's no, it, it just is of itself. And it's fun. It's about having fun in in yeah. a, a really quite elevated and, and wholesome way. And that's the thing is it just some people just, it yeah. wrung them out completely. They did not know what to make of it at all. Oh, look, all the funny bleeps and bloops. Oh, look at the funny baggy pants. Mm. Look at them. They're not even singing, which is always the, you know. Always the first line of <laughs> yeah. stupid criticism. It's, it's not, not proper, proper music. music. But yeah, it's so deeply conservative in, in every single way. They think they're taking the piss out of something that is kind of po-faced and chin-scratchy. and But it's like, no, it was dance music to be danced to. Yes. By, in, the, in, in a loose and natural way, however you feel mm. needs to be expressed through the, me- through the medium of your bones and muscles, however however it comes out and that's what that is and this is like the opposite end of the universe mm. to all that is good and true and high <laughs> basically it, it's yeah fuck everything about this forever mm. they've tried to set up the stage like like a working men's club stage you know they've got a bingo blower and they've got you know various signs everywhere I mean, the one thing about the Tony Blackburn thing, it's essentially a Tony Blackburn mask that you can wiggle the chin about, mm. so it looks like him. Uh, but on the video, it looks like a, a mask of Paul Young. <laughs> Why? Why Why him? That That is odd. Well, you've got the fake Elvis guy in a gold suit, the second... Star turn. Yeah, yeah, that's right, he is actually star turn. The, the, uh, but it's the second gold Elvis suit this episode. Yes, by someone from the North East. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of it about in the northeast. I mean, like the king of rock and roll, Star Turn is a faded singer um, trying to keep up with with the times. This is the whole joke, basically. It's, it's yeah, but uh, it's, it's Dapper Laughs grade. Um, yes, yeah. joke though, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, oh, I'm doing like after the fact. You can kind of go, yeah, but it, I was doing a character. It's like, but is to, in order to do a character, you have to actually create a character. And I don't, I don't see one there. Yeah. See, I don't trust them an inch. I don't trust that this is real self-deprecation. Like, oh dear, we're we're behind the times, and we're sort of, you know, mm. silly old duffers. I don't, I don't buy that at all. I think mm. this is actually a really arrogant and dismissive thing. I mean, the thing is that 
from their perspective or from this perspective, I kind of don't want to talk about them as as, as like what they do because this is like so clearly a kind of belch from the the bowels of the culture. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's a reactionary outburst. Yeah. So it's kind of like they don't necessarily even realise what they're doing. Do you know what I mean? It's like something think these things are working through them. From their perspective, something like Pump Up the Volume is a novelty record. Yes. They're not going to think of themselves as punching up or down, just like across. Mm. It's basically a, a one traditional strand of the culture instinctively attempting to assert itself over an emergent one through this mm. kind of casual comedic disparagement. It's producing something of, as far as I'm concerned, zero value that purports to be a withering smackdown of something that it thinks is even less value. Yeah. It's basically, it's it's middle age looking down its nose at youth and its parents looking down their nose at kids. It's pub looking down its nose at rave and it's beer looking down its nose at ecstasy. <laughs> it's a bunch of blokes displaying their ignorance like it's worth something. The thing is that in lots of ways you can safely ignore it. You know, the the kind of great natural cultural juggernaut of what it's taken the piss out of doesn't need defending. It's it's completely fine. This is nothing. Yeah. I mean, if you played this to somebody who, um, well, if they were on a come down, maybe they'd, they'd start crying. But, you know, if you play, <laughs> played this to somebody <laughs> who is of that cult... this in a chill out room. <laughs> <laughs> then people would just kind of be like... <laughs> You know, they, they wouldn't like. They, they'd just be like, "What's this? This is this is silly." You know, they're not going to be like, "Well, well, no, maybe they would," because people have very profound emotional experiences to do with, you know, what they're taking the piss out of, and so maybe people would get upset. But I, I don't know. Maybe, but hey, look, I've got upset about it. Look at me. So you know, shows what I know. But the thing is, now we are quite painfully and acutely attuned to like how prejudice manifests itself, as we've discussed at great length already in this episode in so many different ways. But and, and this is, you know, it's it's proto bants and everything, but there's some really, really unpleasant moments in it. The worst one being Hey, can somebody help Mrs. Patel out? She's having one of our funny jokes. Thank you, Jodie. I don't even know where to start with it. I mean, um so one of them so your man there's a sort of sample of is it a sample is it somebody no it's, somebody it's sung... singing it's a, okay. it's a cover he's done it's a cover I mean, he's doing an impression yes. he's doing yes. an impression he's doing an impression of, of Ofra Hazla yeah. on the uh, on Pump Up the Volume yeah, yeah. so but he's sort of like him, him and Lou yeah. he's doing yeah. like a sort yeah. of faux Indian yodel and then the other one says can somebody help Mrs Patel out she's having one of her turns yes and I just, I only have two fists, but they, I just want to, there's at least eight punches incurred by that. And, you yeah. know, and I, if I could reach back to 1988 and, and duff them up for this until, until they wept. Yeah. Absolutely fuck off in every way yeah. forever. I've listened to their back catalogue and Mrs. Patel is a reoccurring character. Okay. You've put more research into this than they fucking deserve maybe maybe you actually enjoy listening to their old lps or something (laughs) but steady as as far as i was concerned you've got you've got this guy this fucking elvis guy starting doing that yodeling impression of offer hazard who by the way is israeli same same thing potato potato you know what i mean yeah it's it's just straight up nuclear weapons grade racism Mm. yeah yeah This record, this is this record is just straight up Brexit. It's, that's it's so fucking Brexit. 
and and you know also uh, you know uh, secondarily um, sexist and um, what we would now describe as ableist, I guess. Having having one of her turns, I hate that shit. That's mm. so close to like, oh, is she on her period? I was just, I was, you know, <laughs> expressed the mildest. I've had people say that to my face. I mean, not so much, you know, recently, which I guess is progress. Um, but I've literally had had uh, uh, people, to be honest, men. You know, sorry, you know, it's men. I'm going to say it's men. Just say. Uh, like the expression of the mildest disagreement or anything at all period like you, you cannot make a peep around some people without being accused of being hormonal and or mental which is basically the same thing you're basically saying you have been overtaken by your by your weird mysterious icky female bodily functions and you don't know what you're doing yeah and i don't take anything you have to say seriously god i'm getting so angry now i'm actually like smiling in that way that you do when you're just yeah it's about I, to reach for the knife all <laughs> all my teeth are getting an airing in this room right now and the thing is <laughs> they fuck it up because you can clearly see that e is singing those lines I, so it's I like what are you going clearly, on about? i can't clearly see anything through this red mist <laughs> <Yeah>. <sighs> It's just gross. It's just really, really grim. Now, you know what? We knew well enough in 1988 that this was wrong. Mm. We did. Mm. You know, um, the idea that anyone who's a bit foreign singing in a funny mm. voice, it's its all the same, you know, whether whether they're from Israel or um, uh, Yemen, as uh, Ofra has, has his family originally mm. were, or they're from India, it's all the same. Mm-hmm. And, and you could just, just call them Mrs. Patel, yeah, yeah. right? And I don't, I don't care if it's a recurring character, mm. right? Because essentially what they're doing, they're saying, oh, people from all over that way, they're all the same, yeah. Yeah. right? That, that is pure Bernard Manning shit. Yeah, really yeah, is. it is, yeah. And it was, it was in 88. It already was. Yeah. Even in fucking 78. But yeah, it's also, it's so, it, it's because that record also, it's not displayed to its to its finest in the sample because it's kind of sped up and compressed and it does sound a little bit, it, it, it is a bit of an odd, it's a bit of an odd thing, the way that it drops in, in the middle of that record. Um, which I love, by the way. I don't know, but let's get into pump up the volume maybe after this because it's fucking great. How influential are Eric B and Rakim at the minute? They're everywhere. It's like They're the same. It, it is. Yeah. It is their. You know, that's kind of the the atmosphere in which everything else exists. It's amazing, yeah. and rightly because yeah. fucking hell, we can slag off this group all we want, and we have. But you I'm know, not done there's, yet. There's, there's, there's blame to be ascribed <laughs> elsewhere. What? Why? What the fuck is Top of the Pops doing putting this on? Yeah, what is Top of the Pops doing Choosing putting this on and this on. loads of money? What? Why is that? It's, this is what this is what Top of the Pops thinks dance music is. Oh, oh, it's all the same. So so strange and and enraging. But yeah, it's it's Imnenalu is such an amazing mad record itself. Yes, it is such a beautiful soaring record, and her voice was incredible it still gives you shivers when you hear it now and so put that on that's in the charts it's so good and she just don't do this what are you doing i'm sorry i did Mm. have so much more to say about this that isn't just like roars of 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 crossness but fuck fuck no go with your heart sarah I mean, this is uh, this is like the nadir this is i feel like this is the nadir this is one of the worst I feel like of all the low points in Top of the Pops, this has got to be down there. So the following week, Pump Up the Bitter dropped nine places to number 21. The follow-up, Lock, Stock and Barrel, a tribute to Rick Astley and Kyler, only got to number 97 in July, and they closed out 1988 with Christmas Party getting to number 88 in December. 
They resurfaced in the mid-90s to have a go at Robson and Jerome with covers of I Believe and Up on the Roof, and the LP may be definitely the best turn album in the world ever, which featured covers of Park Life, Roll With It, Gangster's Paradise, Killing Me Softly, and Killing an Arab. And now come the charts part two. This week's number 30, Jermaine Stewart and Get Lucky. Climby Fisher at 29, Love Changes Everything. Of 11 to 28, go Prefab Sprout and the King of Rock and Roll. Joyce Sims walks away at number 27 this week. Big Rise up 10 to 26, Bad Young Brother from Derek B. Born Again Christians at number 25. Patrick Swayze featuring Wendy Fraser. She's like the wind at 24. And up 7 to 23, The Adventures and Broken Land. Rise of 7 to 22 for Start Talking Love from Magnum. Fleetwood Mac at 21 and Everywhere. James Brown, the payback mix, standing at number 20. And George Michael with one more try is at 19. The Pet Shop Boys' former number one heart is at 18. And at 17, a love supreme, that's Will Downing. Up six for Narada, Divine Emotions this week at number 16. Back into the new entries at number 15, Kylie Minogue, got to be certain. Pat and Mick, let's all charge at number 14. And Liverpool Football Club, the Anfield Rap is in at 13. Star turn on 45 pints at number 12 with Pop Up the Bitter. And at 11, Natalie Cole and Pink Cadillac. The enemy child life single this week at number five from the album Sergeant Pepper knew my father. One side is Billy Bragg, she's leaving home. On the other side, wet, 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 with a little help from my friends. As Mayo visibly cringes at what he's just seen, Reed ponders the fate of another former breakfast show host reduced to a cardboard cutout on a novelty record and dies a little more inside. Then Mayo throws us into the chart rundown from 30 to 11. We cut back to Reed being bothered by dishevelled whooping girls as he tries to introduce with a little help from my friends by Wet Wet Wet. We've covered Wet 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 in chart music number 46 when they did Angel Eyes and this is the follow-up to Temptation which got to number 12 last month. It's, obviously, a cover of the second track on Sgt Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which Joe Cocker took to number one in November of 1968, and it's the lead-off single from the LP Sgt Pepper Knew My Father, a track-by-track cover of the LP put together by the NME with all profits going to Childline. Released as a double A side with Billy Bragg's cover of She's Leaving Home on the flip side, it's crashed into the chart this week as the highest new entry at number five, and here's Marty and the McKens in the studio. Oh, before we get into this, have, have you heard 
Sergeant Pepper knew my father. No. I can't say I have, no. no. my research has not gone that deep. So here's the track list. Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Horse Club Band by the Three Wise Men, London rappers, with a little help from our friends Wet Wet Wet, obviously. Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds by the Christians. <laughs> Getting Better by the Wedding Present. Fixing a Hole by Hue and Cry. She's Leaving Home, Billy Bragg. Being for the benefit of Mr. Kite, Frank Sidebottom. <laughs> Within You, Without You, Sonic Youth. When I'm 64, Courtney Pine. Lovely Rita, Michelle Shocked. Good Morning, Good Morning, The Triffids. Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band reprised the Three Wise Men again, and it finishes off with A Day in the Life by The Fall. I mean, there are some amazing Beatles covers, but none of them seem to be on that album. <laughs> I mean, some people say that Sonic Youth and The Fall are the standouts, but not my cup of tea. <laughs> what it needed, obviously, was I Want to Hold Your Hand by Dollar. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know what? Um, when you read down that list, um, if you'd only read the name Michelle Shocked, I would have been able to place it in 1988. Yeah. yeah. It's such a 1988 name. Yes. <laughs> Is this the moment where the rehabilitation of facial hair Beatles started? Because, you know, we did get a Beatles splurge earlier in the decade in the wake of the assassination of John Lennon, but it was all the early period Beatles. I mean, Stars on 45 doesn't go any further than Rubber Soul. I suppose so. Because, I mean, late period Beatles, people just kept the fuck away from it in the 80s. People weren't down with beardy Beatles. I mean, it, I got Sergeant Pepper out of the library in 1984 just to see what it was like. And I would play it dead quietly in the living room because I was terrified that the other kids on the street would hear it and start calling me a hippie. <laughs> which is, you know, as we've just seen, is a, still a huge insult to drop on somebody in 1988, as as Paddy McAloon has pointed out. Yeah. But anyway, here's Marty Pello doing the obligatory Ringo song on that album. thing is, it, it's kind of... I know that we have to take all of these things in isolation and we can't, um, but it's especially difficult in this episode because just the... Mm. Just being wrung out after... Uh, <laughs> after yeah. the previous track that wasn't even music and wasn't even anything at all. It's just a kind of mouldering Cornish pasty on the side of the M21 <laughs> on the way to something better. And whatever came after it was going to be at least appropriate and at least something. So, mm. you know, I can't... It, and I know that's... Yeah. I, I can't let that cloud my critical judgment, but, you know, it's gonna. And I'm feeling... I, but it makes me feel more benevolent towards Marty Pello and and this entire mm. this entire operation. So, so I'm just going to run with it. It's fine. I, I gave I gave Marty Pello a hard time last time, and um, well, come on, sir, he's not the young god. <laughs> oh, but um, <laughs> yeah, this is kind of it's sort of like a kids' telly version of of a Beatles song, isn't it? And that's okay. Mm. That's all right. You know that that's that's valid. I'm okay with it. Um, Marty Pello is the person to do it. He's actually he's having a nice time. It's always nice to see someone having a nice time being young and good looking and being a pop star and mm. you know it's hypocritical of me really to kind of say that i enjoy robbie williams as a pop star and not to give a bit of credit to marty pello the kind of proto robbie williams the cheek you know he's a he's such mm. a cheeky chappy and he's got so much gel in his hair and that's all right as a thing i'm okay with it 
He's like he's kind of like Martipello is, um, and he seems really relaxed and he seems quite happy to be to be to be there. And he's got a lovely toothy grin and he's enjoying himself, and everyone else seems to be enjoying it. It's good. <laughs> My brain has just been destroyed now. It's terrible. But no, he, he's kind of like what Martipello is. If a star turn on forty five pints is the creepy fucking local bloke, the professional local sitting in the corner of your pub just shouting his opinions at you whether you want to hear them or not. This guy is is sort of the guy behind the bar who mm. never did any work at school because he knew that his like ultra confidence would be enough to breeze him through life to a certain extent. And it kind of wasn't, but it sort of worked. And he stayed in your hometown and he runs the pub and he's worked his way through all the popular girls and then a few of the mums and it's kind of charming to everyone else and will wink at you as he hands you your two dogs lemonade and in spite of yourself, <laughs> you will blush. That's who he is. Um, but the song, I mean, you know, does anyone hate the song? Is it a song you can hate? Of course, all of all of, yes. so many Beatles songs. <laughs> well, fair enough. Let's just get to that. I think this is fair enough. But it's just part of the fabric of your life if you're alive at this point in history. And so it's it's um, and there are the big popular songs that everyone's a little bit tired of. And this is one of those. But I feel like this is a very, very pub episode mm. of Top of the Pops. Like it's 1988 and this episode of Top of the Pops has has us like trapped in a stinky old pub just being <laughs> being kind of breathed on. But anyway, um, I think it's I, I have no strong feelings about this. It's just like a sort of. A, a nice glass of sparkling water after what a palate before cleanser. It. It's a palate cleanser in this context, but there is a broader context. Simon, please explain. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, first of all, um, it's hard to deny uh, what Sarah said about that kind of twinkly charm mm. that uh, Marty Pello has with his um, heterosexual pierced ears, um, <laughs> and uh, he, he he has the look of. Um, in fact, this is a this is a contemporary reference of of the uh, um, Australian tennis player Pat Cash, mm. who um, had won Wimbledon the previous year, um, and had that similar kind of um, casual boy next door charm to him. Um, he's wearing another soft leather jacket. Yes. Um, mm. There's lots of them in this episode. Yes. Mm. So, lots of soft leather. Mm. Um, <laughs> I I feel like there's there's almost nothing to say about this record other than. Awful song and awful version. I, you know, this is where I, I do disagree with Sarah. Um, no, I don't care. <laughs> I would even take Joe Cocker, yes, having a fucking hernia and a prolapse <laughs> yes. as as he strains to shit the song out through his ass um, over, over this version. I, th- I think I would. I think I would. I don't know. I mean, if the Wonder Years had begun with this version, I, the telly would have been turned right off straight away. <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> Yeah, another one of your TV references I don't get, I'm afraid, but there we go. <laughs> the thing with Marty Pello is he can't not sing. He, he's not a terrible singer. No. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he's perfectly serviceable, but he's not amazing. And that's why the Limmy sketch works. Do you know the one I'm talking about? No. Like the, no. Scot- the Scottish Because I don't watch Limmy. telly nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. We each fill a gap in the show. Yes. Um, yeah, Limmy, the, the amazing Scottish comedian, um, he, he does this bit where he, he's, he's telling an anecdote about somebody going to a karaoke night in a pub and a singer gets up and they just go to the microphone and they just blow everyone away and everyone is just sat there with their jaws hanging open just shitting themselves at how amazing this singer is. Like, can you imagine this singer who's just the best thing you've ever seen in your life and it's just 
in a pub doing the karaoke and so Limmy's got his listeners sort of wrapped in attention like hanging hanging on to find out what the what the punchline what the kicker is to this and he goes do you know who that was Marty Pello <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> it's just hilarious the reason it's funny apart from the fact that Limmy is just inherently funny is that Marty Pello isn't terrible mm. but he's not amazing it's not like if I don't know Janis Joplin had got up or something like that. Mm. It's just Marty fucking Pello. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, he's all right. He's got he's got a little bit of a soulful timbre to his voice. But do you know what I really dislike about this performance, actually? There's one verse that he does, I don't know if it's the second or the third, where ra- rather than singing the normal melody, mm. he does the harmony line or the, or the sort of descant line mm. just to kind of show off. And I'm like, oh, fuck off. Like, yeah, there's no need for it. Mm. Yeah, just sing it or don't sing it. Yeah. Fuck's sake. I mean, obviously, you, you, we're talking about a song that <clears throat> Joe Cock has done. But he does attempt to oversoul it. And it's like, yeah. no, because the song doesn't need oversouling. And number two, you've Marty fucking Pello. Just just smile there. Just just stand there and smile. It kind of doesn't matter, though, does it? I mean, it because it's such a... You kind of can't dent the... The, the Beatles, are, it's, it is a songbook that no nothing is going to... No amount of terrible covers or whatever is going to make any difference whatsoever. And, and this is kind mm. of... It's a, a frivolity, isn't it? It's a frippery. It's like it doesn't it doesn't make mm. any difference to anything. It, it's fine, you know. It it doesn't. It well, personally, I mean, I'm trying to just take it on its own merits or demerits, and I just kind of don't have. I don't really have strong opinions about it. And in the absence of strong opinions, it's like it's fine. I didn't have like a bodily spasm while I was watching it at all. Which is, <laughs> I know that's a low bar, but I just went, oh, it's Marty Pello. He's all right. Yeah, bless him. You know, I hope he's I hope he's doing okay now. He's had a really hard time in his life. Yeah, there's, there's this song. Yeah. yeah, I've heard this song a billion times. You know, <laughs> this is partly why I had to give up writing about music because I could not summon most stuff that I heard. It's like I don't want to slag it off because it seems unfair. I don't have strong feelings about it. A lot of the time it would just be like, well, uh, in conclusion, if you like this sort of thing... <laughs> this is the kind of thing you'll like. This is the kind of thing you'll like. And if you don't, and it's like, then that is the time when you've got you've got to hang it up because... You're done. Yeah. Whereas I'm, I'm, I'm the sort of writer who goes, if if this is your sort of thing, you're a fucking terrible. Fuck cunt. you. <laughs> you're a fascist. You're a fascist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this episode by now is getting right on my tits. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's a fucking wanker of an episode. Particularly as we reach the final third of this episode, the, the vibe I'm getting is, well, there's your silly dance nonsense out of the way. Now let's have some real music on some proper instruments. Yeah, true. In terms of Beatles covers not denting the Beatles back catalogue, we can't forget, of course, that the previous year, Ferry Aid were number mm-hmm. one with Let It Be. Um, that's um, a record, by the way, which I had to double check that Marty Pello wasn't on. I don't know how he escaped being on Ferry Aid. Yeah. Sort of thing. Maybe he wasn't quite famous enough. And I, I wondered, actually, if, if this Beatles cover is the record, and indeed, maybe this is the performance that sealed his status as the kind of twinkly David Essex for yeah. the the mums of of the eighties. You know, yeah. it's very much one one for the mums. Maybe maybe this is the one where they all looked and thought, "Oh, he's a bit lovely, isn't he's he? Yeah. <laughs> he's wicked lush." Yeah, but yeah, the, the, to me, this is the beginning of the slippery slope to free as a bird. So yeah, thanks, enemy. 
Well played. <laughs> so the following week, with a little help from my friends, jumped four places to number one, where we would stay for four weeks before giving way to Doctor in the TARDIS by the Time Lords. Hooray. After marking time by putting out the Memphis Sessions LP, the outtakes from the original recording session for their debut album, they came back in 1989 with the LP Holding Back the River and the single Sweet Surrender, which would get to number six. And with a little help from my friends, got to number one for a third time when it was covered by Sam and Mark, some pop idol knobs that I don't know anything else about, in 2004. What a shame the enemy didn't do a, a cover like this for the White Album in 1989 and have Jive Bunny doing Revolution number nine. <laughs> Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. At number five this week, wet, 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 with a little help from my friends. And now we're back to the charts, starting at number ten. At number 10, Michael Jackson with a Jackson 5, I Want You Back. And up at 9, Prince and Alphabet Street. Hazel Dean, this week's number 8 with Who's Leaving Who. And at 7, Mary's Prayer from Danny Wilson. I Want You Back, standing at number 6 for Banana Armor. The highest new entry is there at 5. It's a double A-sided single, Billy Bragg and Wet, Wet, Wet. Oh, you, the highest climber's gone up 13 to number four. Harry Enfield, loads of money. And at number three, New Order and Blue Monday, 88. Former number one, S-Express, the theme from the S-Express, number two. It's like they're about to go mad, they've been noisy all night. Britain has a brand new number one and they've made it with their first single. That's right, it's fairground attraction, perfect, and with lots of crazy instruments. Here they are, top of the box. Reed and Mayo, away from the whooping gibbons in perms, slide into the top ten before warning us that the pop craze youngsters are about to go the fuck off over the new number one, which has all manner of crazy instruments on it. Perfect by Fairground Attraction. 
Formed in London in 1985, Fairground Attraction was originally a side project put together by Eddie Reader, a former backing singer for Gang of Four who went on to do the same for the Eurythmics and Alison Moyet, and Mark E. Nevin, who played guitar for Jane Eyre and the Belvederes in the Aventis before becoming the musical arranger for Sandy Shaw's mid-80s comeback. After going from pub to pub to play impromptu gigs, rather in the manner of Fine Time Fontaine, they decided to put together a band and added Roy Dodds, the former drummer of Working Week, and the bassist Simon Edwards, formerly of Red Box. And when they started looking round for a record deal, they were caught up in a major label feeding frenzy in the wake of the booming demand for proper music played on proper instruments. After signing to RCA mainly because they were the only label who guaranteed them free reign on how they looked and sounded, they put this out as their debut single at the end of March. It entered the top 40 at number 35 three weeks ago, soared 23 places to number 12, then jumped 10 places to number 2 last week, and this week it's knocked theme from S-Express from the summit of Pop Mountain. And here they are on a victory lap in the studio. Before we get stuck into them, that, that top ten, a few things that jumped out of me. Michael Jackson and the Jackson 5, what's that all about? Was that a cold cut remix? I seem to remember, because obviously oh. that, that there there was, God, uh, time has not been kind to my memory. But mm, I want you back. Yeah, yeah, I want you back, which, which was samples on uh, one of the Eric B and Rakim um, uh, remixes. Mm. I, I hate that kind of thing, by the way. I hate it when on uh, T-Rex reissues, it's it's uh, Mark Bolan and T-Rex, which it never yeah. was in real life. Or no. um, when I when I went to the um, the aforementioned Culture Club gig with Belinda Carlisle supporting, it was billed as Boy George and Culture Club. No, it's fucking Culture Club. So yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know why that was back in the charts. But maybe it's just... like saying people and two man sound. That's wrong. Exactly. Exactly. I guess the uh, the the um, sort of. Uh, piano and a guitar from I Want You Back had been sampled all over the place and mm. was just kind of current again in the same way that Imnin Alu by Ofra Hazza was newly current because of being mm. used on other things. And, and fucking hell, look at Hazel Dean, what's gone off there? Yeah, she's beat the gym. Yes. Good on her. Yeah, yeah looking yeah. good. Quite foxy. I'd forgotten I Want You Back by Banana Rom and I had to check that it wasn't a Jackson 5 cover and I I, I saw the video and they're done up like the Supremes and... Uh, Fucking hell. That video would stimulate a lot of sensible point and counterpoint on Twitter today. Let's put it that way. Are they blacked up? Well, they're they're unpaid. They're tanned. They're tanned up. It's quite near. It's a bit... Yeah. From a perspective of today, you just look at it and go, or, you know, you'd have a really short discussion about, shall we pretend to be the Supremes and then just go, no, no, don't bother. I wonder if, um, if, if you ask Bananarama about it now they would double down as Harry Enfield did or whether they would say, you know what, it was a bit wrong. Yeah. I don't know. I I, I think that they're decent people, Bananarama, and Mm. I I think they Mm. they probably would maybe share our discomfort. I'm I'm second-guessing that, but I just think they would. Mm. A banger of a track. It's a good song, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah, uh, um, I I was more of a fan of their Swain and Jolly period, the early stuff, Mm. um, uh, rather than... Oh, purist. Yeah, well, I I preferred them when when, when Siobhan was in in the band. Yeah, of course. Um, Yeah, yeah. um, uh, But the the sort of uh, Jackie O'Sullivan material with Stock Aitken Waterman, I heard a rumour, and this, I Want You Back, um, I think are, are great songs, even though I wasn't much of a fan in general of SAW. Good luck to them, having, having their second win to their career. 
The photo of Billy Bragg standing in the middle of wet, wet, wet. That just looks wrong. <laughs> yeah, that might. It was like looking at that picture. It's like, you know, those um, AI things where it's like I've I've got a neural I've trained a neural network on faces and this is what it's come up with <laughs> yes. it's just kind of some eldritch horror of like, <laughs> it's kind of it's sort of massive flesh with some eyes here and there <laughs> yeah and for fuck's sake stop doing loads of money voice read mm. oh god yeah he can't stop now one thing that struck me about this I mentioned earlier that um, there's no rapport between Reed and Mayo and you really notice it when they're doing the chart rundown in this way where it's just taking it in turns taking it in turns mm-hmm. and uh, you know in, I think in, in the earlier chart rundown Mayo actually made a slightly Reed-like joke when he, he called the Christians the born again Christians yes. which is oh. like Referring to his own um, religious background, possibly because he's he's a you know a bit of a Bible basher, old Simon Mayo. Mm. Um, but yeah, prior to that, we'd had Mike Reed having just witnessed uh, the the dancing hot dogs in the prefab sprout video, um, saying something about that's that's mustard or that cuts the mustard or something like that. No. And and they're 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 both at it, making these terrible jokes, but they're not bouncing off each other. They yeah. it's it's almost like that they're in. Separate studios, they might as well be. And I quite like that. I respect Mayo for that because he's just—he's <laughs> obviously looking at Mike Reed and thinking, "Fuck this." Yeah. I'd say the the last the last link that uh, that he did. So Reed does one in his own, and then uh, Mayo does one, and it kind of swooped up to the gantry. It's like, oh, I, I actually I felt some of my muscles just unclenched seeing that it was just Simon Mayo and not Mike Reed with him. It was like, oh. <laughs> you know, like when your mate turns up and and it's like, oh, it's them, and then it's their mate behind them, and it's like, oh no, not that no. guy. But it was just yeah. just the one guy. I was like, and Reed says, Narada. Oh, <sighs> Come on, man. Yeah. There was um, I, I know you, I know you like to have a bit of chat by the photos um, and uh, about anachronistic ones. I noticed that the Prince one is yes. a, a sign of the times era photo yes. for a love sexy single. So yeah, yeah. want to sort it out, guys. Wow. Danny Wilson, Mary's Prayer, fantastic record. Mm. Um, maybe we'll talk about it properly one day, but I love that song. Um, that got in the charts on its third attempt. Like, never yes. mind Prefab Sprout taking two goes with uh, When Love Breaks Down. This was... This is almost a standing joke for me, Danny Wilson, you know, the amount of um, attempts it took to get this in the charts, but great, great song. Um, mm. What do we think about New Order Blue Monday 88? Because I'm, I'm, I'm a sceptic, I've got to admit. Mm. It's subtly different, but I just don't like it. Um, no. I'm... I'm not asked about that song anyway, so... Oh, I can it's... see why they did it. I mean, because uh, famously, they, they lost money on... Uh, Blue Monday '83 yeah, yeah. because yes. because the twelve inch sleeve was so fancy with a hole cut mm. in it like a floppy disk that every copy they bought actually lost the money. So I can yeah. see them wanting to recoup a little bit. Yeah, so yeah. Fair yes, enough. fair enough. Fair yeah, enough. yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of quite quite kind of uh, version agnostic when it comes to Blue Monday. I'm I'm <laughs> pro entirely. So yeah. uh, any version is good, you know, as long as it's not completely shit is fine by me. As long as it's not a yes, cover, as by... long as it's done by Starter. <laughs> Jesus, oh, what would they have called it? Uh, oh. Brown Monday. Anyway, yeah. yes. <laughs> so this song, uh, uh, the crazy instruments that Reed alluded to are a guitar on the the little mariachi bass and some drum brushes. It's not like Ali Bongo's trolley that that's got a piano on it or something. This is also a protest record. Um, I think that um, everybody was willing them to be a thing. Um, Simon Mayo at the end says they are not going to be one-hit wonders. Which, well, they sort of, well, they weren't quite. They sort of had another hit. Um, 
But even them winning the Brit Award, because they won a Brit or two um, in the following February, um, was a statement by the industry, I think, of like, we want this. This is what we want. We don't want too much of that cold cut, bomb the base, Mars nonsense, S-Express. Yeah, none of that filling up the charts. We want this real music. They were seen as refreshing. A breath of fresh air is the sort of thing that was said about them. Uh, that they were somehow, you know... And, and it, it was as much of a reaction against hip-hop and house as any of the novelty tracks that we've seen on this episode, I would argue. So there. <laughs> well, at least they're proper instruments and not just records. I mean, you can play those in your own house, can't you? Mm. I mean, that, is that their fault? You know, that's the thing. I suppose it's, you know, they're, they're just kind of tools in the in, <laughs> in a larger cultural nonsense, I suppose. It is a very... It's, it's an eminently hateable record, this, partly, again, because of its overexposure, because it ended mm. up in... What advert? Asda. It was Asda, and it was oh. it Asda be worth it. Oh, there you go. But it was in yeah. the Asda campaign for what felt like an extremely long time. It was the nineties equivalent of slapping an arse. <laughs> yes. Um. So it, it's very. It's a lot of the things that I um generally have. I have a very low tolerance for for tweeness in general, and it, it's mm. it's quirky and it's jaunty. And I, hearing it again, I didn't cringe. I didn't wince too much. I just went, actually, this is for what this is. It functions like it's supposed to, and and I don't hate it. And the main reason that I don't hate it is um, Eddie Reader's voice, which is gorgeous. She's got mm. this really lovely clarity to her voice, and they know this because they have the vocals kick off the the song, you know, without any backing, mm. just for half a bar. Um, and it's lovely if you were in your again again back in the pub we're in we're in a nicer bit of the pub or maybe we've left that pub we've gone to another less shit pub and if mm. this came you know if if this lot showed up in a pub and and played you'd listen you wouldn't talk over it you know um I mean I found myself in my local pub once a, a million years ago when you could just go to the pub like it was nothing yeah. and um on like a Wednesday night and a load of people kind of turned up quietly and so you didn't notice them it's like oh that's a lot of people oh look they've got ukuleles and of course my first response was like oh no for fuck's sake man ukuleles and and they just you know it was the local ukulele club and they just sat around a big table and and played various songs together and sang quietly and it was perfectly adorable and (laughs) i they weren't making a big thing of it. It was actually really nice. Everyone sat and listened and went, that's nice. I mean, you know, if it's good enough for Marilyn Monroe, it, it, you know. But um, <laughs> So, yeah, I have a low tolerance for this sort of caper, but this is nice. Um, I appreciate that she looks the way she does. A woman with a number one single in 1988, she's wearing kind of stripy, I think they're leggings rather than tights. It's an important mm. distinction. Kind of Beetlejuice black and white leggings and, yeah, which were and, very in vogue at the time yeah yeah, yeah. And, and boots and and a big gray sort of overcoat which i would wear that's the kind of thing that you find in in a charity shop now and go mm, okay mm. um and lovely rumply red hair and glasses yes so she's wearing glasses on top of on top of the pot yes and i appreciate her for that thank you eddie i wore glasses from the time that i was uh oh god was it around this time no, it was earlier than this. I think I had them mm. from like the age of mm. eight or nine. So I would have been getting used to them by now. The, the lenses hadn't popped out in a pile of vomit either. Not at this point, no. And not, not in fact, ever afterwards. And hopefully I can get through to the end of my life without that happening to me. <laughs> that sounds really unpleasant. And I'm sorry that it happened to you. Anyway, she's wearing spectacles on top of the pops. I, 
whether she's short-sighted or not, I, do, I am not at home to people wearing clear glasses as a fashion accessory because it is a, an expensive minor impairment that does affect my life. And you're mocking it and making it yes. into a fashion thing and stop it. It's cultural appropriation, yeah. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call it that, but like it's, it's, it's rude. You're being rude, and and you mm. and you must stop it. It's like there was a while a while back uh, that there were T-shirts that said like weirdo or dork or whatever, and you get these former popular girls wearing them. It's like no, you don't get to do that. No. That's like a that's like a biker club. You know, try try wearing a Hell's Angel jacket when you're not a Hell's Angel. See how far you get. Yes, <laughs> the the nerds will 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 have you. <laughs> yeah. But um, I yeah I on podcasts <laughs> on on podcasts and on on podcasts only. Um, but still, um, but yeah, she's wearing specs and and I salute her for that because it was shit to wear specs then. It's a lot easier now. Nobody gives a shit, but, um, and I Mm. hope that it's easier for kids, but it was rubbish. That was all that it took where if you were 10, particularly if you're female. Yeah. Yeah. That was all that it took for them to write you off forever as, you know, like you grew up, you grew up into that and it's like other girls would be like. Oh, you know they're they're kind of um, becoming becoming young women, aren't they? You know, and like, <laughs> and you don't get to do that because you have this fucking structure on your face that signifies to everyone else that you're not pretty. Funny you should say that, Sarah, because at, at the time when this came on, it'd be like, oh, there, there's the lead singer and everything. Didn't you know? Just just didn't give her a second look. Like now, I look at her, go, oh yeah, she looks really nice in them glasses. Yeah, yeah, it really, they're, yeah. they're good glasses and they really, they, they suit her. And uh, mm. yeah, but she just, she kind of looks like, um, I don't know, she looks like a philosophy student or something. Or like she's just, mm. she's just come off a shift at the bookshop. No, yeah, nice librarian look. Yeah, and, yeah. and I, you know, I like that. And um, I have to say, by the way, the, the second best Batman film soundtrack came out in, I, I think, 1995. I want to say it was the Batman Forever soundtrack. Kind of mm. outrageously terrible, but enjoyable movie and really good soundtrack it's got fucking Nick Cave and stuff on it, and Eddie Reader doing a song called Nobody Lives Without Love, which is gorgeous, and I would yeah. treat you to look it up. It's really nice. I'm not bothered about this song. I mean, yeah, it was played to death, but it's a nice story. This is the triumph of the side persons, isn't it? <laughs> Just a loose collective of people who've done things for other people, having a go on their own, and here they are at number one. Lovely. It's like a mm. film. <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> I just don't like it. I mean, if you're if you're a backing singer to Alison Moyer, you, you can't be shit. No, she's enjoying it. She's not staring down the barrel. She seems a bit bemused that she's there on top of the pops singing the number one single. Yeah, it's not it's not like a it's not like a stunning performance or anything. You know, no, it's, no, um, not at all. It's not very. All. It is a bit sort of like calculatedly diffident, I suppose. But yeah. again, I'm okay with it, and I would like to think that even absent the trauma that I've been through in this podcast, I would uh, in this in this episode, I would still feel that way. Mm. The one key moment in this performance that sticks in the mind is the mobile camera crew. They're getting involved again, probably because they're trying to get Eddie really to look at them. Yeah. And there's one point where they really fuck up their timing, and it cuts back to a full view of the stage, and they're right in the middle, and they just go, "Oh fuck!" Oh, and it- just leg it off stage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A nice moment, that. (laughs) So the following week, Perfect dropped one place to number two, relieved of its duties by Ringo, Ringo, Ringo. (laughs) And it would go on to be the 13th best-selling single of 1988, one place above One Moment in Time by Whitney Houston and one below First Time by Robin Beck. 
It would go on to win the best single award in the ill-fated 1989 Brit Awards, alongside first of a million kisses winning the best LP. The follow-up, Find My Love, got to number seven for two weeks in August of this year, but it would be their last lick of the charty fan end. <laughs> when they reconvened in late 1989 to record a second album, musical differences ensued and they split up. While Rita went on to a solo career and Nevin linked up with Morrissey on the LP Kill Uncle, the song had a second life as the Asda advert jingle for much of the early 90s. Fairground attraction. They are not going to be one-hit wonders. Catch them on tour soon. That is called perfect. Even more perfect next week because we have the Mr. Perfect on Simon Bates and his sidekick Gary Davis. And we're going to play out with Kylie Minogue. See you soon. Bye bye. After Mayo tells us that Fairground Attraction are not going to be one-hit wonders, Reed threatens us with next week's episode, hosted by Simon Bates and Bruno Brooks. Simon Bates, still, 1988, fucking hell. They sign off with a video of the last artist of the night, Kylie Minogue, and got to be certain... Born in Melbourne in 1968, Kylie Minogue was a child actor who bagged a minor role in the soap opera The Sullivans in 1979 and then a year later appeared in the airport soap Skyways as the sister of Jason Donovan. In 1985, she appeared in the children's drama series The Henderson Kids and made her singing debut on the variety show Young Talent Time, which featured her sister Danny as a regular cast member. A year later, she was cast as Charlie Mitchell, a schoolgirl who wants to be a mechanic when she grows up, in the brand new soap opera, Neighbours. When Neighbours was broadcast for the first time on BBC One in October of 1986, it immediately took off, particularly amongst the youth. And after it was reported that truancy was up in schools across country due to kids bunking off school to catch the dinnertime transmission, they started running it twice a day. In 1987, she joined some of the cast of Neighbours to perform at a benefit for the Fitzroy Lions, a local Aussie rules football club, and sang I Got You Babe with John Waters, the presenter of their version of Play School and effectively the Bryant Cant of Australia, and encored with The Locomotion, which she had demoed in hopes of launching a music career like her sister. It was passed on to Michael Goodlinske, the head of an independent label called Mushroom, who showed little interest in it until he mentioned it in passing to his nieces from London, who went berserk at the mention of her name. Two weeks after the wedding of Scott and Charlene on Australian television, the locomotion was released in Australia, went straight in at number one, stayed there for seven weeks and became the biggest selling single of the decade in Australia. 
for a follow-up and her debut release over here, Mushroom flew Kylie over to London to link up with Stock King and Waterman, who had forgot that she was coming, kept her waiting in a hotel for 10 days, eventually knocked out I Should Be So Lucky in 40 Minutes while she waited in reception on her last day in the country, and had it in the can an hour later. It was put out in the final days of 1987, entered the top 40 at number 31 at the end of January, and then rocketed upward, spending five weeks at number one in February and March. Shocked by the success of the single, Stock Aiken and Waterman then realised that they had treated their newest and biggest factory component like shit, so they sent Mike Stock to Melbourne for a meeting with Kylie, Jason and their manager which, according to an interview in The Guardian, began with him crawling on his hands and knees, apologising profusely and vowing to make amends on the follow-up. This is that very follow-up, which was written for and had already been recorded by Mandy Smith, the CC Je suis on Rockstar victim, but ripped <laughs> out of her hands because she wasn't in any soap operas at the time. It's the second cut from her debut LP, Kylie, which comes out in July, and it's entered the charts this week at number 15. And here's the video, which was shot in Melbourne. Kylie's about to film her final scenes for Neighbours in Australia, but over here, Neighbours has got to the bit this week where Scott's in hospital after he (laughs) saved Charlene's life after a barbecue explosion, (laughs) and he's given her a friendship ring, and they're talking about moving in together, which was a very contentious thing in Australia. (laughs) Sorry, it's just the barbecue explosion. I know it's not funny, really, but... (laughs) No, it wouldn't wouldn't be if you were involved in one. No, I, I, I... But a, a very Australian accident, uh, one can imagine. It's, it's, yeah. Is there a more that Australian or King of the accident? Hill? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sarah, best start with you. You're ten. That you, you're a prime candidate for being all up for Neighbours, surely. I was not into Neighbours. I thought it was no, um, no, no. I I was irritated by its ubiquity at the time, and I never got into it. But I do realise that I somehow I was always at someone else's house or something it always seemed to be on regardless i mean my mum didn't watch it or anything but it just was in the air and just everybody knew what was going on somehow i mean i guess my friends at school must have been into it i don't know i just kind of i um no i wasn't into it at all (laughs) i just remember yeah that the whole it being on twice a day thing so if you if you were ill or whatever you'd you'd somehow you know yes be subjected to it twice yeah i don't know why maybe the telly was always on in our house but i don't I don't recall being a telly always on house, but maybe we were. I don't know. I found Neighbours to be a poor replacement for Crown Court. <laughs> you kind of learn something about crime in that. <laughs> Neighbours, it was like, it's really funny because I, I think I mentioned this before when we've done Jason Donovan, that, you know, round about this time, I was looking into emigrating to Australia. Australia seemed fucking brilliant at the really? time. Like a, a working class paradise. <laughs> Like a, like a nicer Skegness, essentially. <laughs> but as soon as Neighbours came on, it put me right off the idea. Well, I guess I can see that. But also, you know, Neighbours was just kind of like a, a really elaborate school play, you know, mm. in somewhere really obnoxiously hot. With spiders. With, with... That's the thing with Neighbours. You never saw any massive spiders jumping out of the <laughs> toilet no. at your throat or anything like that. No, the worst <laughs> you're going to get was, was maybe a playful nip off Bouncer or something. Yeah. Yes, who was dreaming. <laughs> about getting married <laughs> yeah you've got that's that's some lynchian shit you've got to hand it to them for that really kylie's i mean well charlene in neighbors is by 1988 standards she's a feminist icon isn't she 
Well, she's oh, well, she's, she's Rosie the Riveter. She's Rosie the Riveter yeah, of, yeah. Of, of Oz. Yeah. God, that's even more kind of progressive than than glasses. You know, it's like wearing overalls. Yeah. Holy shit. Mm. But yeah, uh, Kylie. Um, you know, I was. You know, how could you not be aware of immediately? Because mm. that was that was the whole point. Um, I don't remember having any special feelings about her at, at the time, but no. I wasn't very into the Stock Aitken Waterman sound in general. There's a couple of like standout tracks i loved you spin me Ra- you spin me around like a record that was that was something that i definitely was into but um mm. yeah kylie at this point she just oh she looks so little doesn't she um in the yes. video she's obviously still winsome cutesy kylie at this point this was you know her her yeah. first incarnation as a pop star mm. no expense has been spent really on the video but um yes it's she's sort of <laughs> skipping down the prom during the it's it's divided into two isn't it between the verses and the and, mm. the, and the chorus so verse she's mm. in a sort of cartoon house putting some art into some suitcases for some reason and then in the chorus she's <laughs> skipping down the prom in in yeah. melbourne and there's, there's kind of not much going on i mean it's really funny because wendy james has been called out on the enemy letters page this very weak for slagging off Kylie Minogue for perpetuating the old bimbo sex image. But I'm looking at this video and, and I'm, I'm looking for the sexiness and the bimbosity and I can't see it anywhere. Very, I mean, look, yeah, she's, she's wearing hold-up stockings and she's wearing a tight mini dress, but she's essentially the, the Therese Bazaar of the late 80s. I mean, the, the late is, if it's you a will. Ver- if, if, if you will. Um, it's a very, she's kind of Doris Day at this point, isn't she? She's yes. Australia's sweetheart. That's yeah, very the, wholesome, that's yeah. Definitely the vibe. Very yeah. wholesome, very, um, yeah, and, and, and winsome. She um, hasn't met Michael Hutchins yet. She hasn't met, well, no. this is the thing, right? So she met him at some point in 88 and dated him for a couple of years. And there's a moment you can pinpoint where she becomes uh, sex Kylie. And mm. it's kind of... That sounds ridiculous, but it's so obvious and so clear and so natural as well. It's not something that has been yeah. imposed from on high. Like, now we're going to hitch up your skirts and we're going to reposition you as as a hottie. Because uh, the mm. music is still kind of, uh, by the, the, the point of her second album, it's, it's not much more sophisticated. So I had to look this up and I was kind of astonished to see that the first single off the second album, Enjoy Yourself, is... Um, um, the first single is Tears on My Pillow, so, the you know, yeah. the cover... And then the second one is Better the Devil You Know. And Better the Devil You Know, the video is where you go, oh my God, who is this? What has occurred? Because right. her hair is all rumpled and her eyes, it's the eyes. You see this, it's its more than a glint. It's like the lights are on and somebody's home and they're covered in scented oils and their body is ready. And you can see mm. it in her entire being. It's like, yeah. fucking hell, she's been and had some mind-blowing next-level sex and also drugs with um, with Michael Hutchins, and now it's on. And now mm. she has become her... She has blossomed into this kind of fox. Tears on my pillow came from that film. Is it called The Delinquents? Yeah, and they, yeah. And they were saying, oh, yeah, Kylie, new sexy image and all this kind of stuff, and she gets up to all sorts. And it, it's essentially her taking her knickers off underneath a quilt. <laughs> yes. That, and that's it. I remember that being like a big scandalous thing at the time and it being in, yeah. in smash hits and stuff. <gasps> you know, but what it, I mean, but that's the thing that shows how invested, I suppose, people were in the idea of Kylie as this sort of quite chaste girly, mm. you know. And mm. it was just, it was really wonderful to see. And obviously there, there is often a very cynical thing where, you know, now, now a girl is sexy, now you will feel this way about her. But yeah. mm. it, it's, you love to see it. <laughs> it's a bit like when... Um, 
Sheena Easton, who, who's possibly um, yes. a, an, another example of a, a very, very wholesome, chaste singer from uh, a few years earlier, uh, met Prince. And, uh, <laughs> and that <laughs> and kind of changed, yeah. <laughs> oh, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, her look is quite um, quite restrained in, in this mm. video. But I think it hasn't dated badly at all. Um, all right, no. the, the the look where she's frolicking along the harbour is a bit cheesy, sort of, and it's very it's dated badly. But the thing where she's yeah. in the artist studio, and she, I, I mean, I think she looks really lovely in the indoor scenes with that little red dress and her hair in kind of uh, almost nineteen forties style victory rolls. Yeah, mm. uh, yeah. I I just think it's it's a really sort of classy and classic look that hasn't aged badly at all. Mm. This song um, is considered, I suppose, one of her lesser songs by by most yeah. people. Um, I I found it really likable at the time. Probably mm. more likable than I should be so lucky. I should be so lucky was one of those stock aching watermen in their pomp kind of steamrollers. You know, it, you had you had that, mm. and you had too many broken hearts by Jason, and you yeah. had never going to give you up, and you had um Sonia was it never stop me from loving you just yeah. and they, they they were these relentless monsters coming off the uh, PWL uh, conveyor belt and I I really dislike those yeah but this has got an understated charm to it it's got a lovely kind of clockwork tiktok to it this song mm. I think at this point obviously as, as Sarah said we didn't know about the image change that was going to um, happen to Kylie but we also did know about the musical changes that you know she would sort of become indie Kylie and then disco Kylie and and, and do all mm. kinds of you know sort of fairly interesting things with with uh, people like Nick Cave and so on for all we knew this is all she was going to be was this yeah, kind yeah. of um, soap opera starlet who made a few pop singles but yeah taken on its merits I, I, I did think that this was quite sweet and, and quite nice. Mm. The idea of her being some kind of puppet, I think, if it was ever true, and I'm sceptical about that anyway, I think there came a point where it stopped being true. And I actually believe she's a pop genius. Mm. I've got to be really careful to clarify what I mean by that, because um, she's not a musical genius in the way that Prince is a musical genius. No. She's, she's a pop genius, and pop is a multidisciplinary um, yeah, yeah. For form and uh, it involves collaboration and it involves knowing the right people to collaborate with uh, yeah. at any given time. And a lot of the artistry with which people will happily credit Madonna, uh, they won't extend that same credit to Kylie, and I think they should. Um, I think if if you look at the if if you've been to any of her gigs in the last twenty years, some of them have just the 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 the, the, the production that kind of artistry of them has been extremely high yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and uh um I, she's she's worked just picking people like calvin harris when he was just about to break big to work with on on her album 10 was was a master stroke obviously um there was the whole indie kylie phase where she worked with people like the manic street preachers and saint etienne and um even though that album didn't sell very well there was some great stuff on it uh and uh, you know, those are just a couple of examples. I, 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 I think that she's very rarely put a foot wrong, um, and I, I think she, she's just um, indisputably a force for good in the world. I, I just think she mm. brings joy and cheer, and um, I've often thought of her as um, our generation's version of Vera Lynn, this kind of forces sweetheart. <laughs> you know, yeah. she just whenever you're feeling down, you just think, 
you know, oh, we need Kylie. <laughs> Kylie's come and cheer us up. Yeah. Mm. I, I just think she's completely and utterly wonderful. I remember when um, she she had uh, breast cancer and yeah. uh, she was out of the limelight for over a year, I think. And she came back and played these gigs. I, I was at one of them at uh, Wembley Arena and I've never experienced an atmosphere like it. Just this, yeah. this, this, this wave, this tidal wave of love and goodwill when she stepped out on the stage just Aww. really brought mm. it home how much... She she means to people, yeah. And you know, just on a personal level, I've I've interviewed her, uh, I don't know, three or four times, and um, wow, just always Fucking found hell. her, to, yeah, just always found her to be utterly, utterly charming and smart and switched on and aware of her kind of place in the scheme of things. She's got she's got a lot of sort of humor, sense of humor about herself, and all of just everything you'd want her to be, really. Um, Does she remember you? Well, I hope so. I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. she 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 certainly. Um, if she doesn't remember me, she she makes sure that uh, she's done her prep beforehand and found out that, uh, that 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 I'm the guy she talked to, you know, three years ago or whatever. But the horned one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if we could take someone from 1988 and play them this podcast, what your two have just said about Kylie Minogue is going to be more of a shock to them than the global pandemic bit at the beginning. <laughs> the idea of Kylie Minogue having a career spanning decades yeah w- would be shocking yeah you wouldn't necessarily get that from this especially not not this second single which is all right i have no particular feeling for it um it's kind of less i mean it i should be so lucky was so ubiquitous and so everywhere and um mm. it is a steamroller to the head and <laughs> it's like fucking hell um and this was more much more kind of low-key relatively and um it's okay. It's I don't know if it would be anybody's favourite Kylie song, but you know, there's yeah. Mm. But I'm in complete agreement with um, Simon. Just what a treasure she is, um, mm. and and I hope she's going to get her her the credit that she's due. I think she already has. I think I think a yeah, lot of people you know realise it because she's sort of ploughed her own furrow in this in this really good and truly artistic way. It's not just kind of mindlessly chasing whatever is happening now. She's kind of really struck out so many times. And yeah, she somehow doesn't fully get the credit from a lot of people for having that kind of, for being an artist, really, because Mm. maybe the hangover, maybe the sort of her initial kind of, um, the kind of caterpillar phase, you know, it's like she hasn't reached her next form, you know, she hasn't reached her final form. Larval, she's larval. Larval, that's it, yeah. (laughs) That's what that's yeah. what I meant. Thank you. Which would sound great in Australian accent, actually. Laval, laval. <laughs> then the laval phase. So throw that another lava on the Barbie. <laughs> oh no, it's exploded. <laughs> She's had more of a career than Craig McLaughlin and Stephen Dennis. <laughs> put it that way. Well, you mean Craig McLaughlin and Check One Check two. One Two. <laughs> oh, sorry, or Check One Two. They always get forgotten. <laughs> oh, no, that that came that rose to the surface of my brain earlier when you were talking about, um, you know, it is not right after the fact. Say so and so and their yeah, band yeah. when it wasn't that in the first place. But Clay, mm. <laughs> just adding and Check One Two to anything is is um, just <laughs> delightful. Um, but yeah, Kylie, fucking great. I mean, that Glastonbury performance that she did, which because she was lined up to headline Glastonbury, wasn't she, on, on the Sunday night, and then couldn't because of her because of her cancer, and then she came back and did it, what, five, was it 10 years later? Oh, or something, nice. I think it was. And just, it was great, and she got very emotional about it, and everyone got emotional, and it was really beautiful. And that performance, mm. like you said, the uh, production values are so high. It's 
such an incredible show without being fully, you know, without just being camp or nostalgic or anything like that. She does, like, there's a segment of it where she kind of does the old stuff and she does like a medley of them. But then there's a whole bit where all of her dancers kind of, it's like the best, most fun wedding ever. Yeah. That was like the distinct feeling of like, you know, when uh, a lot of the time you go to weddings, I mean, obviously not, no pressure, Simon, but a lot of the time you go to weddings and it, it it's not quite how you want it to, yeah. you know, it, it's it's kind of, it's a bit of an endurance and it's like, but the best weddings are the greatest thing and the best parties. Mm. And she just did that for the entirety of Glastonbury. And I've no idea how, but she yeah. did. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And she got to have sex with Michael called... Hutchins, which, you know, I, mm. I, I think any of us would... Uh, <laughs> I should be so lucky. So the following week, got to be certain, leapt 11 places to number four and then spent three weeks at number two, held off number one by wet, wet, fucking wet. The follow-up, a re-recording of The Locomotion, got to number two for four weeks in August, kept off the toppermost by The Only Way Is Up by Yaz and the Plastic Population. See, I remembered the other ones there. She gets stuck in the number two slot again when Je ne sais pas pourquoi was held off by Orinoco Flow by Enya, but she'd reclaim the throne for Christmas when she teamed up with Jace for Especially for You. Kylie Minogue's had 11 number two hits in the UK. That's amazing. Yeah. And that closes the book on this episode of Top of the Pops. What's on the telly afterwards? Well, BBC One kicks off with your bi-weekly dose of Cockney misery in EastEnders. Then Judith Hand celebrates the 100th anniversary of the gramophone record in Tomorrow's World. Then it's Mastermind, the 9 o'clock news, Crime Watch UK, Question Time... Crime Watch Update and the highlights of the cricket. BBC Two has just started Call My Bluff. Then William Wallard test drives the Toyota Celica, the first car on sale in the UK that runs solely on unleaded fuel in Top Gear. After Michael Burke conveniently takes a look at Lead 3 Petrol in the Eco News programme Nature, along with a threat to British water sports enthusiasts by diseased rats, it's the Rory Bremner Show. Then it's a look at two people stuck on the NHS waiting list in 40 minutes. Four female saxophonists play music from four centuries in the fear of sax. Then it's news night, the weather, and they close out the night with more open university. ITV goes into a repeat of the second series of Alvida's Aim Pet. Then it's Lingo, the game show hosted by Martin Daniels, followed by This Week, LA Law, The News at 10, Regional news in your area, a local politics programme, It's Sex Next Week, a documentary about the future of sex education in schools, and they plunge into the nighttime strand with the 1972 Alain Delon film Dirty Money, Sports World, Rock of Europe, and Job Finder. Channel 4 listens to John Burt banging on about his job at the BBC and how journalistic standards have slipped in opinions. Then it's Treasure Hunt. Then Anthony Hopkins and Jim Broadbent star in the latest film on 4, The Good Father. Followed by Sid's Family, the 1972 documentary about a Windrush family in Bristol. And they finish off with Farewell, the 1981 Russian film about a village threatened with flooding for the benefit of a new hydroelectric power station. Oh, good old Channel 4, you never fail to disappoint. <laughs> so, me days, what are we talking about in the playground tomorrow? I think maybe Prince and, uh, you know, his his, uh, his crappy video. Um, 
and maybe prefab sprout and their funny frogman <laughs> yeah same yeah i think so yeah what are we buying on saturday hopefully prince i mean it, it's so difficult this it's like theoretical me as as 10 year old who didn't know shit <laughs> um i would hope you know definitely not star turn on 45 pints unless it was to like do violence upon it um prince because i had to because it's fucking prince um and prefab sprout as well in fact um i can easily check i've, I've got both those singles I, I must have just bought them at the time yeah. um uh, and also the albums from which they came so from langley park to memphis by prefab sprout and love sexy by prince um and you know what if i had a little bit of spare money i might have bought the narada the narada single because what because why not yes. I it. <laughs> boing, boing, boing. boing 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 yeah boing all the way home from the record shop <laughs> like a jumping frog <laughs> And what does this episode tell us about May of 1988? It tells us that the summer of 1988 could not come fast enough or mental enough. I was I was going to say it tells us fuck all about 1988 because I was thinking about all the great records that came out that year. You know, uh, yeah. all the things like, you know, Pixies and My Bloody Valentine and Public Enemy and Young Gods. Hello, David. Um, all, this, all, <laughs> all, all the stuff that Melody Maker was banging on about, all, all that kind of stuff, which generally didn't make the charts. But also all the great stuff that, that did make the charts. Um, but we just happened to pick a duff episode uh, here. Mm. Um, but yeah. yeah, Sorry about yeah, that. Well, it, it's, it's given us something to talk about. Um, and but yes. I, I, I started thinking about it a bit more deeply, and I realised that when I contrast the late the eighties the with the early eighties, um, mm. I, I usually say that the early eighties were a more tribal time um, because there are more there were a greater number of factions and a greater number of tribes in that era. But in in mm. a way, the late eighties were also very tribal. It was a, a lot more stark, a lot more uh, sort of dualistic, black and white. And um, mm-hmm. less factions, quite literally, in some yeah, ways. yeah, yeah. And, and um, I uh, just started thinking about where I was at the time at, at uni, and I remember that there were real factions in the sort of student union social committee. There were loads of kind of mm. dance music heads who were, you know, going to the Wag Club and they were into Rare Groove, which probably wasn't called Rare Groove yet, and and all of that. They were into their hip hop, and I kind of felt alienated from those people I thought you know I don't really like them they're not my people but I also kind mm. of loved a lot of the music they were into so I was, I was sort of I was, yeah. I was this sort of goth guy who sort of thought oh yeah I, I like your music but you're a bit full of yourselves you lot D- despite the fact that I, I felt tribally different from them when I watched this episode of Top of the Pops and you've got these fuckwits like Harry Enfield <laughs> and Star Turn on 45 Pints taking the piss out of that kind of music and and making out that it's just cheap shit i actually close ranks with people who culturally mm. culturally yeah. i felt different from and and thought you know what fuck you fucking proto brexit assholes <laughs> for thinking for daring to think that you are somehow superior to what's going on culturally and musically right now mm. you don't know what the fuck you're yeah. talking about basically those those people and i'm I'm, I'm getting angry again for about the fifth time now. Yes, uh, yes, they, let it they out. They are the sort of people who think all lives matter. They're the sort of people who don't yeah. really think all lives matter, that they would fly a fucking plane over a football match with a banner behind it saying that. That's who these people are. Yeah. Fuck them. Fuck yeah. Harry Anfield. Yeah. Fuck Star yeah. Turn. And, you know, long live, bomb the base and 
Mars and S-Express and Coca and all that lovely stuff. Yes. Yeah, I get the feeling from this that hip-hop and dance music has won and Top of the Pops can't accept it. Yeah, it's like the times that we're living through now. It's it's kind of a huge pushback against progress, isn't it? Mm. From all angles. And it's very scary and, and tiring to, to be living through. But you do get the there is a sense that you have to remember that I know that all of, all across the world, the, the, the worst of the right wing is in power. It's very bad. But there is it's definitely a, a reaction back against that's how powerful progress has been mm. that it's had this mm. almighty pushback Make a point and you get yeah you get a whiff of you know i try to you know i'm trying to be positive somehow um because you know you do get the sense that this is the dying screams of a completely redundant way of being and mm. you know that's it, this you, you kind of get the rumblings of that under this episode of in, in cultural terms um, yeah, things are changing and we don't like it. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's old blokes going, Ooh, what's all this then? Yeah, I mean, I don't for one minute think that Paul Chiani and his uh, minions are sitting there going, oh, the, the dancey people are taking over, we've got to stop them. It's it's more of a, oh, we, well, we like having bands playing music, we can make sense of that. Dance music's problematic, and as we'll see, it will be problematic over the course of the 90s for Top of the Pops, but that's not the music's fault. That's your fault if you can't deal with it. So fucking deal with it. Yeah, man. Jive Bunny is coming, you (laughs) bastards. And that, me dears, is the end of this episode of Sharp Music. All that remains for me to do now is the usual promotional flange, www.chart-music.co.uk, facebook.com slash chartmusicpodcast. Reach us on Twitter at chartmusictotp, money down the G-string, patreon.com slash chartmusic. Thank you, Sarah B. Toodaloo. Thank you as well, Simon Price. You're very welcome. My name's Al Needham, and the reason why my voice is so clear is because there's no smack in my brain. (laughs) Chart music. Great Big Owl. You recording this? Are you doing this on on record? Is it? I can't hear no synthesizer. Oh yeah, here it is. It's a moochie we got you in the lake. Hey, Joe, Joe! Alright. <laughs> got it. Alright. Well, let's see. Let's. Uh, Paulson, come out what you thought that one was, was like. I thought it was all the shit, really. That was called The B Side. On the B Side by Harry Enfield. Coming next, it's Running Out of Time, Digital Orgasm, the 12-inch Milky Way Radio Edit. Acid House Music has been described as a sinister and evil cult which encourages young people to take drugs. One person has died after taking ecstasy, a drug associated with the music. But few people know where the Acid House craze came from and how serious a threat it is to young people.
Acid Music has had some commercial success, with records like this one, We Call It Acid by D-Mob getting into the top ten. But the link with drugs has hindered their chances of further success. Gary Hazeman, singer with D-Mob, says that since the controversy, 20 engagements have been cancelled. The ban on top of the pops gave the impression that the BBC had banned acid house music completely, making it even more unacceptable to parents. I can categorically say that the BBC has not banned acid house music, and in particular Radio 1 certainly hasn't banned acid house music. Uh, what has happened is that the Top of the Pops, uh, the BBC's uh, premier pop show, has decided not to play uh, tracks that have uh, references to the word acid. Uh, we, on the other hand, uh, decided uh, to carry on playing acid house music because uh, we've been aware of this for some 14 months. It's almost a bit of a storm in a teacup, really, after quite uh, such a time. Uh, and we understand what the true meaning behind acid house music and the term acid is in, the, in this particular genre of music. Is it once more uh, a cynical exploitation of youth culture by the media, merely to generate headlines to sell newspapers? Some newspapers have called acid house music a sinister and evil cult which lures young people into drug taking. The message is certainly getting across. What do you know about acid house music? There's, there's meant to be a drugs related craze. Uh, seems to be the most wiring thing. And where did you find that out? That was in the paper. Do you think there's anything to do with a certain religion, do you think? No, is there anything it's like that? No, no, it's more to do no. with a kind of a drug, isn't it? It's a drug. Yeah, well, those that take it want to be, be ashamed well. of themselves. I presume they do friends of dancing, that kind of thing. Um, probably out of control, not behaving like normal. Uh, normally they would because they're under um, the effects of the drug. I've just read about it in the newspapers that... Uh, Acid house music. I assumed it was something to do with the drug scene. Must affect the brain in some way. Unless it's just the music that does it. it. All them lights flashing don't do you any good either, do it? Oh, I, I wouldn't even go in the uh, pub where them lights are. Oh, no, they drive no. you mad, don't they? Ted Hines is the Sunday People's Acid House correspondent. Hello, my name's Beth Murray, and if you'd like to hear funny people talk about giving birth, then have I got the podcast for you. Poor Richard, he made the <laughs> schoolboy <laughs> error of standing up to see the baby while I was on the operating table, and I think that's really not recommended. <laughs> you were scarred for life, he was scarred for life. In the latest series of One Torn Every Minute, a whole labour ward of new guests tell me their birth stories in hilarious and graphic detail. Gas and air can suck my... That's one torn every minute. Available now on all good podcast platforms. I suppose you wouldn't do it at all, would you, if you really thought about it? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.